Welcome to Les Liaisons Dangereuses in 5x5. This is Katrina Oliphant from Chrome Radio. I've come to Oxford, to All Souls College, to interview Katrina Seth, Marshall Foch Professor of French Literature and an expert on the 18th century novel. I want to find out more about La Clos, the author of Les Liaisons Dangereuses. Katrina, tell me a bit about Chaudelot de La Clos. Pierre-Ambroise François Chauderlot de la Clos, to give him his full name, was born in 1741 in the provincial French town of Amiens. He's a contemporary of Goethe in Germany, Gavalso in Spain, the painter Fusli, the composer Gretry. Chauderlot de la Clos, or La Clos as we most often call him, was born into a family which was well off without being extremely rich relatively well-connected, but not really one of the leading families either in Amiens or in Paris, where he subsequently moved. Laclos, like a number of young men of his generation, went into the army, and he had a particular speciality. He was an officier d'artillerie, which means that he was interested in things like bomb-making or the making of 18th century equivalents of bombs. And indeed, he was an inventor in that particular field too. Laclos was a committed soldier. He was somebody who took great interest in the revolutionary events when the French Revolution broke out in 1789. He was a partisan of the Duc d'Orléans, the king's rather seedy cousin who thought about taking power. He was also a general under Napoleon. That's fascinating. So Laclos was not a writer by profession. What prompted him to write Les Liaisons Dangereuses? Well, we're not entirely certain what prompted Laclos to write Les Liaisons Dangereuses. There is an indication by somebody called T, who says he met him later in life, that Laclos might have admitted to wanting to write a book which would be well received and talked about but that we cannot confirm, there's no particular evidence. What we do know is that he took time off as an officer to finish writing his book, so it was obviously something which counted for him. Had he written other things? He didn't write any other novels. Towards the end of his life, he says in a letter that he wants to write about virtue rewarded in a novel which would show that the only true happiness is within the family. So it would have been quite a different novel to Les Liaisons Dangereuses if he'd been able to write it. What he did write and not publish was a series of drafts for an essay competition on women's education, in which he concludes that women's education needs to be reformed, but the whole of society, in a sense, needs to be reformed. He also took part in various group publications under the revolution. He's said to have played a large role in publishing political documents and letters for the Duc d'Orléans. What we do know is that he wrote an awful lot of letters to his family. He was very attached to his wife and he wrote to her very often when he was away on his military tours of duty. For instance, when he was in Italy during his final years. This is very interesting because if you were to read Les Liaisons Dangereuses alone, you wouldn't necessarily take away from that that the author was a family man because when it was published, it was scandalous. Can you talk a bit about why he might have chosen to write the novel in a series of letters? The epistle reform was very popular 
in France, but also in other countries in the 18th century. Think about Richardson's Clarissa or Goethe's Werther. So by writing an epistolary novel, what Laclos was showing was that he was conscious of which forms readers enjoyed. However, what Laclos does, in a way in which probably his predecessors hadn't, or at least not to the same extent, is use the epistolary form to function as a sort of trap. The letters are set up in such a way that some of the characters, and I'm thinking in particular of the Libertines, the Marquise de Merteuil and the Vicomte de Valmont, manipulate letters, both literally and metaphorically, and in this way manipulate other characters. As to how the public received the novel, when Les Liaisons Dangereuses came out, there were very few accounts of it in the press. The accounts there are, and as I say, there are only a handful, tend to stress that it's actually quite hard to talk about this novel because on the one hand, the critics are saying it's an extraordinary novel. We've never seen anything quite like it. The character of the Marquise is something quite extraordinary. We're used to men as libertines, but we're not used to women libertines. On the other, they say this triumph of a novel is also something terrible. It is leading people into things they shouldn't be reading about or to thinking thoughts they shouldn't be having. So a lot of the critics find it difficult to decide whether or not they should be saluting this novel as a great achievement or, on the contrary, saying, do not read this novel, it is dangerous. Readers, we know, loved the novel. They were instantly entranced by it. We have notes of people saying, oh, could you please borrow the next volume for me? Lend me your copy. Scenes of characters in other novels reading Les Liaisons Dangereuses, references to the characters from Les Liaisons Dangereuses in letters, in plays, in poems. So it was very much an overnight success. And if we were to want some concrete evidence of this, there were several print runs of Les Liaisons Dangereuses. The first print run was exhausted almost immediately. And so the printer had to come up with a second print run. We have the contracts in Paris at the Bibliothèque Nationale. And there were several counterfeit editions also in 1782, the year in which Les Liaisons Dangereuses came out, but also in subsequent years. I think it was never out of print in the years coming up to the French Revolution. And of course, it remains in print very much so today. One question I wanted to ask was, was it published in volumes or in any form of a series so that people were waiting for the, for the next instalment? Or was it published as one book? Les Liaisons Dangereuses was published as one book in four volumes, which was a fairly standard way of publishing novels because books were expensive. And so you would borrow books from your friends or you would borrow books from a circulating library and you'd borrow them one volume at a time quite often. Interestingly enough, right at the end of the last volumes, there's an editor's note which says, we may continue the adventures of our characters. I think Laclos was leaving open the possibility that there might be subsequent volumes, which he never wrote, of course. So Les Liaisons Dangereuses at the time was a huge success, and we know that it remains a huge success today the recent stage performance of Christopher Hampton's adaptation, both in London and New York, has been very well received. What about the interim? So when Les Liaisons Dangereuses came out, it was a runaway success. And that went on for some time. It was what the French would call a succès de scandale. People were saying, ooh, this is a dangerous book, but you really should read it. 
And then it drops out of view, partly because the beginning of the 19th century in France sees, first of all, the empire and then the restauration, two fairly conservative regimes which don't like books like Les Liaisons Dangereuses. And Les Liaisons Dangereuses was banned in France in the early decades of the 19th century. To a certain extent, it has a subterranean life. There are traces of it being read, of course. It's in most libraries. People occasionally talk about it. But on the whole, you couldn't go down to your local bookshop and say, I would like to buy a copy of Les Liaisons Dangereuses. Les Liaisons Dangereuses really becomes fashionable again in the latter part of the 19th century when writers get interested in it. A lot of writers in France, like Rémi de Gourmont, in England, like Simmons, writers also in Germany, get interested in Les Liaisons Dangereuses and say, this work is a masterpiece and people should be reading it. So they encourage publication. Indeed, go back a little bit earlier in the century, Baudelaire wrote notes for a preface, should it be republished. So the second part of the 19th century sees a rediscovery of Les Liaisons Dangereuses by writers. And all through the early years of the 20th century, writers continue to defend it as a hugely important work. I think what really relaunched Lilias en Angereuse, certainly in the popular imagination, was Christopher Hampton's play, staged all over the world, and of course the subsequent films, Dangerous Liaison by Frears and Valmont by Foreman. Since nowadays you could probably go into most libraries and bookshops and ask for a copy of Les Liaisons Dangereuses, whatever your language, I think Laclos will be very pleased with the afterlife of his novel. Thank you, Katrina, for a tantalising introduction to Laclos, the man behind Les Liaisons Dangereuses. I'm off to read the book again, and I suspect some of you may be too. You've been listening to Katrina Oliphant of Chrome Radio in conversation with Katrina Seth, Marshall Foch Professor of French Literature at the University of Oxford. I do hope you will join Katrina for further perspectives on Les Liaisons Dangereuses in this 5x5 series.